0: Welcome to episode 7 of Stan Ontology, a K-pop track breakdown podcast. Um, I am Regression, or Michael, pronouns they, them.
1: I am Claudia, uh, pronouns she, her, and remember to follow us at Stan Ontology on Twitter.
0: Hell yeah. And this week, we have one of the great girl groups of this newest generation, Mm -hmm. uh, Blackpink, and one of their debut singles, Whistle
1: yeah it's it's great yeah i i look forward to seeing you mesh that with the actual opening i'm
0: i see hearing
1: will... you know what i mean uh,
0: you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna let, let that just play out as it actually happened and put the song in here
1: hey hey boy make a whistle like a missile Bump, bump Every time I show up Blow up ah. Make a whistle like a missile Bump, bump Every time I show up Blow up ah. I'm so beautiful I can't The war. is still there I'm so excited to see you Boom, boom 24, 365 you know? why? This is
0: a sick pop track. I love it to bits. Um, but Blackpink are a weird group. So we will have, I'm sure, more than enough to talk about. So yeah, like, as we as we always start off, who the hell are Blackpink?
1: So uh, my kind of one sentence pitch for them was like, I know I keep comparing groups to BTS. And I'm only doing <laughs> this because they're very famous. And I, the question I keep hearing from people who aren't, necessarily interested in k-pop uh especially not let's say the target demographic are like who are bts and why are they big anyway bts but women (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, in terms of scale and popularity they're pretty much the only group that can internationally rival bts yeah Um, bts still have all the like records for album sales and international following and all that Blackpink are the remarkably enough the only group able to beat BTS if you just dropped a music video tomorrow and counted up the views. Um, because in fact they, that's what they did. <laughs> that's that's kind of their MO is just out of nowhere dropping a music video and getting like e- extraordinary numbers of views in a very short amount of time. So they um in terms of K-pop acts they've got the most music video views of any act not named Psy. Um mm. And they've got the records for like the biggest ever YouTube premiere of any video and the most music video views in 24 hours. So like yep. they are the ones consistently breaking the records for just like what happens when you put out a single and the world goes bananas about it.
1: Uh are were both of those records set for How You Like That?
0: Yeah, so they that's for their right. newest single, How You Like That, which was released all of two weeks ago as of time recording.
1: Johnny is you like that 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 look at you all of 2 weeks ago i have time of recording on the same day as the new bts single
0: yeah um so when Some we say that had. they're,
1: when we're saying that they're kind of dueling or like, you know, competing with each other for like mass global popularity, it's quite stark there. Um, yes. So as a little bit of quick uh, historical background stuff, they debuted in 2016 uh, under YG Entertainment with four members. Uh, Rosé, is it Rosé or just Rose? I.
0: Yeah, it's got the accent, it's Rosé.
1: I'm not, a, I'm not a diehard Blackpink fan. I'm very sorry. Rose, Jisoo, Jenny, and Lisa. They are YG's first girl group uh, since 21, who we discussed uh, earlier when we were talking about Come Back Home. Um, and I think, like, concept-wise, they're quite similar, you know, in terms of the kind of aggressive... We talked about the kind of two poles of femininity that Korean girl groups are generally forced towards, and they're definitely towards the more, like, I'd say, like, aggressive, darker, sexy kind of Yeah, the sexy badass end of the spectrum. Yeah.
0: Um, Lisa is the Time member. Yes. Uh, Rosé is from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jenny spent a bit of time... Growing up in New Zealand, and um, Jisoo is native Korean. Yes. Um, so yeah, if I had to pick out what the like thing they have going for them is, is like more than anything, just like incredible stage presence and personality, as well as like top tier rapping, basically for female mm-hmm. groups.
1: They're very talented. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. Like obviously, really good vocalists. I don't think that vocals is their like selling point in the same way that it is for some other groups. No. But um, they just carry themselves on stage impossibly and, well
1: and offstage I would say too you know in the kind of uh, various social media fan greets uh, talk shows variety shows all that kind of thing the other point I'd like to kind of mention is that they've had some pretty big US exposure they're the first group to play Coachella um, and yeah. they're featured on Lady Gaga's new album uh, um, Sour Candy
0: uh, Sour Candy is an impeccably good track
1: Oh, it's real good. So sour,
0: Um, it's a great album if you're if you're after a fix of dance music um, mm. it, that is very digestible. That album is ready and waiting for you. Um, I'm probably going to talk about that on to have a, a quick aside and plug my other music podcast um, Hot Singles, which will be coming back very shortly with its first episode in I think two years. So stay tuned for chill album discussions. Of it's very right exciting my
1: my only question is how you have the time to sustain two independent podcasts but i i mean we're all <laughs> at home a lot these days
0: <laughs> yeah the, so between lockdown and uh friends who are very able and willing to to share the workload it's remarkably easy i will mm-hmm.
1: say <laughs> so anyway that was a plug for hot singles i was going to talk a little bit about the whistle itself um so whistle was released uh you know, we said this is one of their two debut singles. The other was Boombaya. Um, those were the only two songs they released uh, at debut. And ooh, let me just scroll through this discography. What else did they release in 2016? Oh, Okay, they had Square Two, which is two, two more songs. But uh, between Boombaya and Whistle, Whistle was the... Boombaya was the more successful one, I believe. I mean, but, okay, both of them smashed records.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, we're in the realms of, like, 600 versus uh, 900 million YouTube views, so, like, relative, but, you know. Yeah,
1: uh, I mean, also, you know, Boombaya might be, quote-unquote, more successful, but Whistle still caught what's known as a perfect all-kill, which is a really badass way of saying it topped every single physical and digital chart for real-time daily and weekly in South Korea. Uh, it, was the f- it, is, it was also the first debut single from a group to ever achieve this. Uh, yeah,
0: so bottom line is like, it's almost unheard of to have groups that debut and that if for their debut to land so spectacularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, if the, the whistle is the first thing the world heard of Blackpink in any official capacity and it just smashed the world to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, they have had a rather—I'm not. How could we put it—haphazard release schedule ever since then.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to discuss Blackpink without also discussing what is maybe the most unusual feature in K-pop, which is that they—they they just don't have a lot of material.
0: Yeah, so affectionately, I—I I say affectionately, they get—they're one of the acts who are colloquially known as locked in the dungeon of their their parent company. <laughs> Which basically means that they disappear for extended periods of time and seem to be completely inactive, despite being like outrageously successful whenever they do like appear with a with a with a release.
1: And and enduringly popular. It's not like yeah. their popularity keeps like peaking and then dipping again around releases. It's just it's been relatively steady. I don't think they've had like a, a massive flop or, you know, a, a minor flop really. Uh, on pretty much anything they've released.
0: No, so um, it's the eternal thing with Blackpink is like wishing for, for them to be in inverted commas, let out of the dungeon, to actually hear what they've been supposedly working on for this extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that we're going to find out by the end of this year because we we're waiting for their first actual full album. They've been a band for uh, they've been a group for four years. Coming now. up for four for coming up to five years and. Yeah. Still haven't released an actual album. However, apparently we're gonna get gonna get that full album by the end of the year, as well as a bunch more solo content. So, so, we're, we're gonna stop having the uh, the meme of Blackpink's weird discography that is full of singles and literally nothing else. Yeah. Um,
1: let's do let's do a quick detour into talking about what the songs like. You know, what? How does it? Our usual our usual free word association.
0: Yeah. So, like. Uh, so the, I really love this track. I think it's got the sort of like simmering, quiet confidence and like swagger mm-hmm. to it that like very few people manage to capture. It's like something got something of that like um like boom bap hip hop thing of just like the absolute confidence to sit on top of a beat and just sound imperious and in supreme control, and that comes from that like really easy and really confident and really subtle casual delivery. Um,
1: and I think it's also worth pointing out that the, the song is, uh, it's quite sparse. It works mm. as well as it does, largely because there, it is happy to have gaps that aren't immediately filled up with instrumentation or particularly kind of like layered vocal textures, etc. I might be talking out my ass, we'll see. But... <laughs> You know, it's like, it's happy to have that space, and it's happy to kind of keep it pretty empty and loose. And I think, as you say, all of that contributes to this feeling of kind of very easy confidence. I initially was going to call it brash, but brash doesn't fit right. Brash has a connotation that it's unearned, and this is very much earned.
0: Yes, and like... We have the, the obvious contrast of, like, their other singles that got released pretty much simultaneously, which is Boombayah, which is just this sort of, like, big, blowout um, EDM
1: song. That one I would call brash.
0: Bombaya. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's huge. Uh, it's it's exactly what this one isn't, and um, I, th- I think it's fair to say their career, like since this, has pretty much like I'm not going to say like exclusively because I think there are a couple of like small deviations, and like obviously nothing is identical to what they put out previously. But like the big singles and particular the stuff that's blown up has followed the model of Boombaya more than it's followed the model of Whistle.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I I mean Boombaya is a song that was written and sounds like it should fill stadiums and it does. And I do mean that in every sense of the word.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So yeah, like this is the sort of track we've got. Um, And um, the sort of how it works stuff is like remarkably similar to exactly the sort of stuff we've talked about a lot so far in this podcast. So um, Mm -hmm. um, like we talked a lot in the uh, monster episode about that um, blueprint of uh, Adjusted modes for Harmonic interest And Whistle is exactly one of those things We get this opening riff which is Perfectly outlining that Mixolydian Flat 6 scale that we talked about That Monster's in and so many SM pop tracks and As well as many others are in um, it's uh, You know almost... For
1: example clearly YG <laughs> Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah we, we pulled out Enough YG examples as well but yes yeah. like Whistle fits it to AT
1: Hey boy make whistle like a missile bomb bomb every time i show
0: um it also fits that the um that the the sort of play between sections is all about that model interchange that you sort of get this sort of like cheeky or like Knowing and like really confident, like slip towards major in the chorus and the like lead in sections, and the and the like, um, sorry, the bridge, the acoustic switch up in the bridge, like shifts towards what would place, uh, place it in minor, and that like mm-hmm. the interplay between the two just sort of is the nice push and pull you get in feeling with the track. Um, the the, the verses in the chorus is that's a sort of like cheeky, like brightness to them, and the... right. And the, that that it needs some sort of like more sincere, more driving push to it, that you get that with a shift to minor in the um in the pre
1: chorus. <laughs> And I mean, the last part of this equation is we talked about this. with come back home. It's a it's a very Teddy Park track. Yeah,
0: it's an extremely Teddy Park track.
1: It has the little acoustic nods, right? It's got the reggaeton, of course. Mm-hmm. I'm only surprised there is not yet a reggae remix of any of their songs.
0: So, as with as with 21, there is a reggae remix of a Blackpink track hiding uh-huh. on one of their their live albums
1: I can't believe I can't believe that slipped past me oh I found it I found it I found it
0: there we go yeah no, I, I was shocked that you hadn't spotted it already it it does exist for really um, but yeah um, it's it, every every note to a T that like the climax of the track where it's like done with all the sparse hip hop stuff is like right we pushed a reggaeton um, and the, all the like s- a, tonal switch ups get done by a move to acoustic instrumentation it like fits it to a T this is one of those classic quintessential Teddy Perk poppy hip hop tracks and it mm-hmm. works perfectly for that um, but yeah I think that you pulled out that it was distinctly sparse is entirely right that like we get I don't think at any point in the track do we get any like ensemble vocal textures or any um, any uh, like stacked harmony it is single lead voices over like relatively free and airy and open instrumentation for the entire track Mm-hmm. And that's, like, a, a genuinely different approach. It Like, I think to some degree tracks Western pop music marginally more, but more specifically, it tracks hip hop much more. Um, yeah. That's the thing it's aiming for.
1: So, yeah, I mean, we, you can probably, we, like, blitzed through the kind of musical heavy lifting that it's doing. Not to say that it's not doing work Merely that a lot of the tricks it's using and a lot of kind of the techniques it's pulling from are things we've previously discussed before. And that's not a mistake, right?
0: No, not at all. Um, And I think, again, that's why I love it so much because it's got that sort of like, it's got uh, the sort of like tonal stuff that you might like, in in the sense that like we, at the very start of the podcast, talked about the ways in which you could noticeably see that the K-pop was like doing cool inventive things, but in a way that was just like, a couple years in visual production and uh, production values and um, style and the incorporation of like current pop culture that's just behind the like American or UK like pop world, and that by this time not only is it caught up, it's like pushing it in directions of like surrealness and like and like some sense of like hashtag girl power that are actually just, like, very comfortable, cool spaces to be in, and that you still don't get a lot of in American pop music. And on top of that, it's still really musically inventive in the ways that K-pop is kind of uniquely inventive. Um, Again, like, not to say that this is, like, of, like, model interchange and stuff is unique to K-pop, but again, that, like, this is pop music. This is getting 600-plus million views. And yet it's using harmony and songwriting so particularly to, like, draw out this, like disparity in tone and this like weird specific tonality and mood that you get out of the like dark like the that adjusted adjusted mode stuff that we talked about in monster so much
1: yeah it is very interesting that i mean our working theory on the monster track was that the 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 propensity for modal interchange and mixability in flat six is to accommodate a enough harmonic complexity to support multiple vocalists and complex uh harmonies and vocal lines to allow the maximum number of people to shine which you need when you have 12 people in a group but Mm -hmm. that by now it's become such an entrenched part of what makes a K-pop track or okay it's become a very well established way of making a K-pop track sound like a K-pop track that you are now taking those tricks but applying it to an extremely sparse vocal line Um, but I think that By this point, we've kind of mined out everything we wanted to say about the track musically, because it is, uh, as we alluded to, impossible to talk about Blackpink without talking about what makes them, as a group, very unique and very different from other groups. And a lot of that is actually to do with the way they fit into the K-pop promotion cycle.
0: Yeah, so it's this point where we get to actually, like, flesh out what we mean by the K pop promotion cycle. What like what normal behaviour is for these groups. And Blackpink's the perfect example to see how like that's different from Western pop music and how like the the economics and incentives might push you in towards that cycle or in Blackpink Pink's case, jettison you completely out of it. Right.
1: So let's start with the the kind of the generic K pop cycle. Um this is multiple small releases in a calendar year. Um, often you get something in the first, let's say, the first quarter, the first, not quarters in financial, but literally the first three months of the year, uh, January, February, March. You get, uh, and, and you know, when I say small release, I mean literally a single or maybe at most a, like, four to six track uh, EP, which in kind of the k pop world is often called a mini album or just a mini uh then you move into summer and they're almost certainly going to release a summer single uh which is like there's like a whole thing about like seasonal releases so summer singles tend to be very like uh we went through a very long period of like Latin house or just yep. house or
0: tropical house right or, right or the like big brash edm stuff and that like mm. clearly you when you've got promotion cycles that are that six months and short, you can very much time it to not only trends, but trends that fit particular experiences and moments. And like even single events that you want people to make sure that that, that track is like the soundtrack yeah. for specifically.
1: Right. And all these summer singles, you know, they sound summary. All of the concepts are like, ah, uh, shorts, uh, beach uh, bright colors, um, fun, lighthearted, et cetera. Usually. Um, so that's <laughs> Somerset. Uh, in, I would say, in sort of autumn, that I feel like sort of that kind of October, September ish, verging to November, you, you get sometimes bigger albums
0: yeah for some reason it tends to be second half of the year is when you get most of the big drops and i don't know and the
1: and the repackages and re-releases so you remember how the first six months of the year they've been busy dropping you know small you know bits uh of of musical output the back half of the year is where they recombine all of them into what are literally called album repackages so this might be you know uh if Uh, At any point earlier in the cycle, they've released a mini album and then a second mini album, the repack might be combining those two, Uh, maybe with a new single uh, and a bit of a track reshuffling on the repackage. Uh, If they've released a full length album, they'll probably do the same thing again, maybe with another single to promote it, a repackage, a reshuffle, and all of that comes with merchandise. So... Uh, EP1 and EP2 have their own releases, their own posters, their own concept art, their own uh, photo cards, tour posters, what have you. Um, the repackage will have a completely different set for you to go out and collect it all over again. There's a lot of merchandise, is what I'm getting at.
0: So much much. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is the sort of like vocabulary you end up with, which is like regular small releases that build up towards larger album length releases. Albums that can get repackaged um, to, like, increase the amount of collectible material that fans get to buy up.
1: Right. I, I that, like, In my experience, it's been pretty rare, I feel, that you get a full-length studio album release that isn't... That doesn't include some kind of material that was previewed at tours or, uh, you know, nowadays on... Uh, uh, social media or might well just take elements from earlier mini albums
0: yeah totally at the very least there's clearly a sort of like sentence, like a, a trajectory in the promotion cycle that like you get individual promotion cycles over the course of the three to six months between small releases mm-hmm. and then you get the sort of like right we're on a push so that by the time we hit the end of the year you've put out three releases including your blockbuster single that we've been leading up to Etcetera, cetera, et
1: cetera. Right. And, you and know, that, like, in, in winter, there might be, again, kind of December leading into January, February, you have, again, smaller single releases, but this time winter-themed. So very cozy, lots of ballads, uh, everybody's wearing fluffy coats, that kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. The, the big release, now that I think about it, all the big releases coming sort of in just before the end of the year also means that they're eligible for the big end-of-year music awards.
0: Yeah, totally. It's very much the Oscars like album season, but for albums instead of movies.
1: So that's the 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 normal cycle, right? You will see your favorite band, you'll see your favorite idols putting out new material, maybe four times a year, all with their own choreography, all with different like, uh, all with a different look, all with a different concept, and you know, with each release, you can expect to see them. Doing this choreo and performing it on televised uh, live shows, which I think are quite is quite quite different. Like you're you're probably going to be watching them as well as listening to them. Yes, they're yes they will play on the radio, but another big way of consuming it is to watch them perform it on these televised music shows, um, which is why the choreo is such a big thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you are, you are used to seeing the idols a lot. And again, with those comebacks, as they're called, uh, you get, you tend to get spikes in social media activity. They'll do fan meetings, fan greetings. They'll go on talk shows. They'll go on variety shows, which are kind of like part interview shows, part goofy game shows. And I feel like a lot of them are very explicitly designed to showcase a different, uh, like a different aspect of the idol's personality, which I'm not trying to claim authenticity here because it's really clearly, a lot of these are really clearly staged. And I would also argue a lot of the, um, even things like Instagram lives or similar live streams are all, like, you know, there is probably someone watching over their shoulder, whether that's in the moment or immediately afterward, you know, someone's reviewing what their, what their interactions are. Possibly not as strongly in the case of social media. But, <laughs> right, but those variety shows and TV shows and all of those extra appearances, you know, they're on cooking shows, they're on travel shows, they're on all these kinds of things. There are opportunities for idols to present different versions of their idleness for consumption by fans.
0: Yeah, and th- those like different registers on which you present yourself. Um, and the like ability to communicate that you have hidden personal depth is like a crucial part of like building up the the fandom around the personalities of the idols to, not to, just the, the, to um... the
1: point where there are groups where there are members that you can kind of point to at you know we've talked about how oh we there are often specialities within a group like between rappers like rapping dancing and uh, vocalists there are also occasionally this tends to only be the case for groups with vast numbers of members people who specialize in being good at interviews charismatic in yeah. talk shows people who can carry mm-hmm. a conversation uh, especially if there are shyer members in the group
0: yeah but also like members just get a reputation like there will always be like the goofball the one with the dumb laugh like i'm just thinking through some of the larger groups that i know and like
1: i mean also they, like... we've talked about tim and we've talked about how like he's this like mature suave, like sexy extremely in control Artist at the peak of his game on stage, and the second you see him in a talk show, he's just like a nervous blinking mushroom. Yeah, even at <laughs> even now.
0: Yeah, so when that's one we have a yeah. This one we have a lot of personal experience of having to like, I'd alternately cringe and like like have our hearts broken because yeah. of. But yeah, no, just every group has the sort of like you can just tell the interpersonal dynamics that come to the fore in these environments. But that like that is that ability to showcase interpersonal dynamics, if they exist at all, or whatever they are, is like mm-hmm. a crucial part of like selling the understanding that these are people who are deserving, Approachable. Of, I'm not say deserving of celebrity, but like the uncelebrity celebrity through other means, not just through the like, the, they're like, a, <laughs> this is where we start to get onto the sort of like effective labor point that this is like, mm. um, an ability to blur the bounds in which, um, like your 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 place of work is that like nominally work happens in the music studio or in the in the, on the sort stage of on the on the sound stage or on the um on the like variety show and then like quite clearly the sort of like ability to present as something that's more intimate in different spaces is like a necessary part of that work but then that bleeds into the way that they get perceived in whether it's vlogs or social media presentations such that like it's almost impossible for any any K-pop idol to say what is or isn't work because the work is the whole process of just engendering public adoration through like your mere existence and the sort of version of that existence that you put out into the world and like clearly that's not a new point like we've been living with the kardashians for 15 years or however however long it's been but that like Different flavors of this like process happen in different ways, mm-hmm. and I think that might be a good point at which to say like, what do blank Blackpink do that's different? Because I think there's some obvious stuff, but like on this point specifically, there's something that's really unique, which is that they were like, as far as I can tell and from my experience, like they were the first K-pop group to have individual members with massive Instagram accounts.
1: Hmm.
0: And the, this uh, is news the-
1: to me. That's why I'm making these noises. Oh, cool. keep going, keep going.
0: So, yeah, it's not like I am like a religious follower or anything like that, but like they are not only clearly the most well, the most followed people on, on Instagram who are K pop idols, but the, the like the sense and the like understanding and the, the sort of soaking in of K pop culture through Twitter and Instagram that I've had, it's just sort of like communicates to me that like they've been doing the sort of like manufactured selfie game for so long, so well. And that like that's a different mode of like letting people into the background thing that like with an uh, so the the case in, the, the comparison point might be uh, like an SM entertainment artist. Like I can think of many who like have landed on personal Instagram accounts very late and mostly use it for um like a Promoters. much more Yeah, a much more like corporatized version of promotion, mm-hmm. which like doesn't allow you to sustain the sort of like image of the sort of like it doesn't allow you to do the influencer trick which is the the like this looks much more like my real life uh i'm just getting sent all this cool shit because that's how my life happens um i'm just going out to this art gallery or or this cool restaurant and hanging out um and that like the sort of division lines between what's personal and what's public or at least what's personal and what's like professional Mm -hmm become so much more stuck in those cases and so much more blurred in the case where, like, your entire Instagram presence is and always has been just a a continuation of, like, the presence that you're building out in all your public public presentation.
1: Yeah. It is... Um, It's a tricky line to walk, and I, you know, want to state as many times as is necessary to be like, this doesn't mean that they're being... That they're not authenticity is a really loaded term because i think ultimately what what accusations of authenticity or inauthenticity are getting at are people want to know whether or not they're being lied to when they're being presented these versions of themselves and uh, no it's not a lie um it's 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 i would say it's a lot more complicated than that right it's yeah. a, and it's, it's it is i think a form of presenting a certain version of yourself that we all do to some extent, but is complicated because there is a commercial relationship there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And And I think think that's... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's not so much that this isn't untrue. It's just that it's able to obscure the fact that this is fundamentally still part of the work of being an idol. And that, like that's the that's the boundary that clearly it's like this is her actual life or this is any of their members actual lives but mm-hmm. um that like people don't perceive it in terms of what is or isn't labor or what is or isn't on company time or not and that allows you to play this very subtle trick and hey you come back in several months time where we get to we're, we will do
1: this for two solid hours. I am calling it now
0: yes we'll <laughs> we'll get back to, to to the five star run times
1: yeah <laughs> but let's talk about the obvious thing
0: yeah let's, so like that was the less obvious thing like the the sort of intimacy boundaries and uh, the sort of shift away from that like very p r focused way of doing public presentation to the like American influencer. Uh, model of presentation the other thing they just do different is they very rarely release any music
1: (laughs) yeah like we were saying okay on the normal cycle let's assume a lot of assumptions but that a let's say generic k-pop group is releasing uh we'll say what a mini and an album
0: a year like on average like some will go longer some will go more yeah we'll say like, like
1: we'll say we'll say it averages out to maybe a two minis and a repackage so that's let's say four song, uh two five song minis and an album repackage which is basically those two minis plus an extra two or three tracks
0: yeah so like that that sounds about right it could be like I'm thinking. Yeah, something in that range. Like, yeah. I'm thinking uh, acts that, like, prefer album format. like might go one mini, one full album, something like that. Like mm-hmm. the, the, We're in the sort of realm where you're, like, putting out three distinct releases, each of which have, like, at least five things that are new on it to, like, hit 15 tracks new for a year. And that's right. very, very reasonable. And maybe even on the small side for some of the more productive groups.
1: Yeah, so, like, we're talking, let's say, three or four singles a year plus like well actually no, more than that because sometimes bigger releases get multiple singles uh we'll say half of i mean
0: i'd say the average out i think you're about right with that one honestly
1: no okay well so like four singles and then maybe six B sides.
0: yeah that seems and then maybe a bit of
1: extra solo work or uh uh let's say promotional releases uh or soundtrack work that kind of thing yeah totally to total up around twelve or thirteen new bits of music a year, roughly, that you can hunt down.
0: Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just l- looking up what random group that I'm listening to at the moment is doing, and yeah, like I'm looking at two in 2019, maybe mm-hmm. two EPs, two Japanese releases, two soundtracks, and a and an album. Like, yeah, right. that's in this case which is i just happen to pick 17 because i know they're fairly productive and like that's pushing 20 25 tracks in right. total. oh and
1: we we didn't mention touring we will oh but, yeah but they're also squeezing tours in between all of these schedules uh a lot of tours i think also happen towards the early part of the year especially in japan because that's when they're not releasing new material fair fair right um so um, yeah um so yeah what do blackpink do <laughs> They have released a grand total—we counted multiple times—of eight singles in four years of activity. So that's—it's uh, not evenly. Is it evenly distributed? I don't think it's.
0: No, not at all. Because okay, they released a double single in twenty sixteen. Whistle. Right, that them. was
1: their debut. Their they debut. followed that up
0: almost immediately with Playing with Fire. And stay. Uh, I, does stay count as a single? Maybe, sort of. It hit a it, it,
1: it it uh, uh, peak position of 10 in the Gaon digital chart, so... Oh, it
0: counts as a single if it... Got, it's, it's got 200 views on YouTube, it's count counts as a single, okay, fine.
1: Okay, sure, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, it takes a year for As If It's Your Last to Come Out, and that's right. a single track with no B-sides.
1: Right. Wh- which, again, is... Like that's quite unusual for a group. Yeah. I would expect that of maybe a soloist, but a group that's pretty unusual.
0: Yeah. So like the mere fact that all of their initial releases come with no B sides attached is strange to begin with. Mm-hmm. It takes another year for as if it's your last. That's a single with no B sides.
1: Right. Then that's we get to their
0: Yeah. Their first actual mini album, which is Square Up, which has the single, do-do-do-do, and three B sides. It then takes another full year to have another mini album which has kill this love which is the single a remix of did it we will come back Mm -hmm. to the idea of their endless remixes and another three Mm -hmm. b-sides since then they have produced another well another full year later how you like that which is another single with no b-sides
1: in the middle of 2020 to be clear
0: yeah They're probably averaging two or maybe three tracks a year of like original Korean language material. And if
1: you're very much reaching for content, as a lot of Blackpink fans, Blinks do, you probably would lump in Jenny Solo solo in 2018. And again, one song, one single.
0: This is a bizarre way of doing releases. Like, it's, well, well I say bizarre, it's clearly incredibly successful.
1: It works for them, <laughs> right? It has not it really stopped them, them from filling out the Tokyo Dome.
0: Yeah. So clearly the release schedule is not a problem. It's just a big idiosyncrasy that, like, yeah. somehow this group is blown up while only releasing singles practically. Like, they have scattered a grand total of six B-sides their entire career.
1: And not a lot of them. If you look at uh, a lot of their different releases, they are, and I think this is where we get to the endless remix section. (laughs) I mean, you want to look at their discography or maybe maybe you hit them up on Spotify and see what's there and you will see the same song titles over and over and over again. And I will attribute that to why I did not spot the Reggae remix immediately. It's because my eyes glazed over a little. And... It's because it turns out what they do is not necessarily to constantly release new music. It's they tour a lot. They've done a lot of shows, um, especially for a group that's pretty new. Um, A lot of those tours, uh, especially early on in their career, were focused in Korea and Japan, which tracks with a lot of other K-pop groups. Uh, uh, A lot of K-pop groups will have releases just for the Japanese market, or at least release kind of Um, songs Korean songs in Japanese Uh, those are often their own singles and there are very often tours in Japan and so on Uh, but Blackpink have done it to a degree that borders on well it's not really parody because they're serious
0: yeah and it works and it's absolutely part of their long term strategy so
1: that's the other part yeah
0: so, what we can, so like we're going to dip into when you look at, well, when you load up Blackpink's Spotify page, the first thing you'll get is not their like mini releases, it is a cavalcade of live albums. So, they've released, so Blackpink have basically been continuously on tour since 2018. They um, put out a compilation album of all of their singles in Japanese called Blackpink in Your Area, and that's just like their full collection of singles. And the Blackpink in your area sort of international tour, like with, again, as, as, as you said, like both the, the Korean and Japanese and then later growing to this massive mm-hmm. international tour thing. Um, that has produced three mini albums, sorry, three live albums, two of which are in Japanese, one of which mm-hmm. is in Korean. All of which have practically the identical, an identical like running material.
1: Yeah, which they kind of have to.
0: Yeah, because they just don't have new we stuff we looked to play. at their set
1: lists and their set lists are almost identical year on year. The only exception being yeah the tracks the tracks yeah like the only the exception being like the covers that they perform might switch up a bit and the covers are you know uh, sometimes Western pop often other YG songs from their other boy groups, um, but oh or uh, Jenny solo.
0: Again, like of course like a single comes out like in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty and that'll get added to the list, but like functionally they we're we're seeing the same thing literally played out three years in a row for um for three distinct two enormous
1: projects. crowds. Here is the other thing, right? Like they're
0: Oh and right. this is this is the point as in this is their money spinner. Um playing like playing uh, the Tokyo Dome and filling it out is going to earn you several million dollars, maybe tens of millions of dollars per time you can do it. And if you can do that over and over again over the course of three years, that, like, you're probably better off doing that than you are um, trying to produce a promotion cycle within career that, like, doesn't have the opportunity for fans to pay, yeah, to, fa- to pay exorbitant prices for um, right. For life. Tickets. I
1: mean, like, okay, the Tokyo Dome is always the headliner, but they've done multiple tours at Osaka's Kyocera Dome, which also has, like, a 55,000 occupancy. And I have no doubt that they filled that out, too. Right? Like...
0: Yeah, the, the, and we sort of... I think back when we were talking about TVXQ, we were talking about the idea that they were the first... Korean group to like fill out like all the major like 50k plus capacity domes in mm-hmm. Japan over the course of their career and like this is the same sort of level that Blackpink's at but they've turned that into like the focus of their existence for the last three years that like they are just releasing single, singles as sort of like recurring feed like feed into the machine that is their life tour which is obviously taking it to the US taking it to Europe where they're like Okay, they're not filling out 50,000-person venues, but they're filling out 10,000-person venues in Europe. And that's near unheard of for okay, a couple. very respectable. Like, again, we're talking about BTS can do that. Super M did it mm-hmm. just about. Though, that, like, I remember when I went to the Super M gig in London, like, there mm-hmm. were empty seats. They were, they were filling out a much reduced capacity version of the mm-hmm. Wembley Arena. But like, no, Blackpink are one of the few groups that could actually do those tours, make them profitable, and turn that into their business model in a way that pretty much no other Korean groups can. And
1: to illustrate that, I have for you an extended list of all of the different versions of Whistle that you can currently find on the internet. Are we ready? Buckle in. Yes! We're going to start with the original, the one you all know and love, or at least the one we know and love, the Korean studio version. Do you want to play clips of this? Because you, I... Pl- mm.
0: Yeah, I will absolutely play cl- clips
1: of this.
0: Every
1: <laughs> day. <laughs> Korean studio version. Alright. Familiarize yourself because it's about to go in a wild ride. Okay. First permutation, not that strange. Japanese studio uh, version. Again, as we say, they're looking to go for the Pop market in Japan, not at all unsurprising. Lots of groups do this. It was huge, it was popular. Of course, there's a Japanese version.
0: Then, okay.
1: A Korean live version and a Japanese live version. We've just told you they tour a lot, so that makes sense.
0: April. Make a whistle like a missile.
1: Bomb, bomb. Every time I show up, up uh. Make a whistle like a missile. Bomb, bomb. Here's where it starts getting interesting. There is an acoustic remix version of whistle. And there's an acoustic version of it for both Korean and Japanese as like B sides to like repackages in those two countries.
0: Blow
1: up, blow up. Uh. make them whistle like a missile. Bomb, bomb. Every time I show up, blow up, on the moon, and the war, not each of you. And then there's a Japanese live acoustic version of Whistle, but there is a Korean rock remix live version. So if you followed all of that, that is eight different versions of Whistle, four in Korean and four in Japanese over uh, the course of four years. It's not just Whistle. They do this with most of their songs. Doo-doo-doo-doo is a big one. Yeah, so, like, some tracks...
0: Yeah, so some tracks will suit acoustification. I'll sure. say it just to be patronizing <laughs> slightly. Um, some tracks suit the sort of process of producing alternate versions. Others don't. It's very hard with an EDM track like "Bumbaya" to, like, magic out um uh, an acoustic version that sounds at all reasonable i'd even say like i don't think the whistle acoustic version is particularly great either but it's a thing we, we, you can we do. talked
1: about it uh, the acoustic version essentially well how do you describe you said it was basically doing the four pop chords over and over again which is actually not the same harmonies as in the studio version
0: yeah, so it's genuinely a reharmonization. So in music terms, reharmonization is when a, a, like a long-standing thing that happens where you take the melody of a track, throw out the the harmony or accompaniment and recompose the the harmony and accompaniment in a new style or referencing other material whatever it might be. So like the reason you might do this is like it's a very common way to like the 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 first place I think it comes up is quotations in classical music that like you will have classical composers quoting popular tunes to incorporate them, and like, that's a form of reharmonization.
1: You know, remixing, but classical.
0: Yeah, remix culture. It's been here since Blur, and like, this is where you like, can jokingly construct the continuity in like, sampling and remix culture through the entirety of music yeah. history. <laughs> I think more, more like significantly what you get is, um, firstly, in the jazz tradition, where you like, take show tunes or um, like, musical tracks or folk tracks and pop tracks.
1: Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things
0: You extract the melody lines and recompose it in jazz styles, which allows you to push the harmony out to much more adventurous places. And that that's a starting point for doing um, improvisation. And that's like a a very like natural formula to like take moderately familiar material whether it's jazz standards or like like folk tracks or whatever it might be and turn them into things that like work for the form you're interested in Um, this is just like a very like brisk, brief history of the, the sorts of practices that go on here. Um, like remixes as a sort of more like pop music integrated thing are, so the, oh, the, the way, the reason I brought this up is like, we were talking right. about reharmonization as a specific musical technique. Like jazz is the first place you really get this. Cause like the, like my favorite things is a, is a tr- mu- is like a musical track that obviously people will know and that like a jazz musician will come along, take that melody line and just rewrite the instrumentation to it. That's like clearly like Blackpink are not John Coltrane. I don't want to cast aspersions <laughs> on either of them. They are good for different reasons. But um, the, uh, the point about the acoustic remix that we've got in this case is that what they did is like took the instrumentation of um, Whistle chucked it away, and then rewrote one of the most like familiar pop acoustic tracks you could possibly imagine, starting out by putting the verses as the four chords of pop music. Um, like I feel like I've heard about eight different Ed Sheeran tracks that sound like that verse. I feel like I've heard maybe 50 tracks through the course of my life that are just like a very well-played, um, very well-produced, very clean, picked acoustic guitar part playing the four chords of pop. the four chords are um um that like any configuration of one uh sorry minus six four five and one in some arrangement or order um the classic um the, the the exact order doesn't really matter it's just that like we're in the realms of like incredibly boring safe pop music and i could like play the skit that the famous four chords of what uh, the, the the skit that the the joke about the four chords of pop music comes from and you'd instantly recognize all those different tunes that like rely on this basic formula do you recognize this uh, yeah that is don't stop believing by journey very original there's a few more that so fit check it out my life is brilliant my love is pure i saw her an angel
1: of
0: that, I'm sure. Well, that's
1: just two songs that are similar. That's not a big young, Three I songs. wanna be young. I
0: won't the taint no more, no more.
1: It and the other interesting the other interesting part I'd like to point out here is that oftentimes acoustic remixes are uh vocal showcases. Um But because yeah. this is a track, as we said, with a really sparse kind of vocal arrangement where you have where i think you don't get more than one one voice at a time and also a lot of it's rap like a solid half of that song is rap it's not a great vocal showcase Mm -hmm. either
0: no no not at all um but yeah the uh the the the, like the central issue that i hear with it is that like remember when i talked about this doing all the standard k-pop stuff about Uh. um like model interchange and as well as the production stuff about being sparse and like super hip hoppy when you throw that away you throw all the stuff that not only like holds the track together but actually holds the melody to the track so that what you get when you hit the acoustic version is that all the clashes that are very cleverly hidden by like the sparseness or the lack of like constant like harmonic harmonic accompaniment just get like shoved in your face So you just get major third and minor thirds clashing. And it's just not very pleasant. Um, you also get, like, complete modulations out of the, like, um out of the harmony space to something that's entirely different that like takes the sort of like cheeky tone that i was talking about and just makes it really stock and boring with no harmonic interest to it and like this is the sort of thing where like i know how good this uh the like the production and um writing crew are at these labels and i clearly don't think they're doing this by accident i clearly don't think that um like Whistle is being transformed into a track that doesn't have that really distinctive, really, like, super engaging tone to it um, for, like, no reason at all. I think, like, producing the more, like, immediately familiar, not even less challenging, but, like, the, like... Like, I don't think Whistle's a particularly challenging track. I just think that it's got a, a sort of confidence and a type of emotional engagement that just... You get a different version of it with the acoustic version, which is much more in, like, the emotional comfort zone, much more, like, familiar, right. much more...
1: There is a reason a... why the acoustic remix is kind of a joke uh, across a lot of pop music, right? A yeah. lot of pop music does this. It's not just K-pop. Yeah, so, like, I, the, the sort
0: of, like, we talked a bit about authenticity in, like, public presentation. Like, this isn't inauthentic. Like, the Whistle remix isn't, like, a failure because it's, like, less effective of being the sort of mm. badass hip-hop track. It's trying to do something different and it's very successful in that, like, here's the, like, version that can be the expansive, joyous, celebratory version of the track that you already know, but that can, like, warm your heart in the middle of the stage show. And that, like, it's got different aims and that's why you use it or produce it in order to go in your live show.
1: And in the context of their extremely sparse discography, it provides something interesting. Or at least different.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, like, you need to hear something else for at least at some point. At some point, like, you just cannot fill out that two hours of programming unless you are, like, recapitulating stuff that people know. And also
1: ways. because Bumbaya would not support an acoustic remix because it won't.
0: No, 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 exactly. And that, like, there are different ways to go down it and the sort of, like, rock versus acoustic remix version is, like, exactly the case in point that you could go for, like, something that's, like, fiery and technically impressive that ramps it up. Or that you could go for something that's deliberately like de-escalating all the tension from it and being familiar while also being like sorry, while being familiar while also being comfortable.
1: Yeah, it's like the on it's like when you play it as an encore versus when you're when it's the focal point of your show, I guess. Like it's it becomes like a yeah, comfortable yeah. and familiar uh point of reference for the group, for the fans, for people who are experiencing this, whether live or later on, if you're listening to the recorded versions, um, and f- familiarity mm-hmm. totally. with all of these different versions is kind of one of the ways in which you engage in fandom. Yeah, the rock it's remakes are totally... still kind of um, cheesy, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great.
1: <laughs> it's it's real cheesy. Um, it has its own charm in that aspect. It it does this. It does very. Similar things to the uh, what we were saying—the acoustic version does with regards to filling the silences with chords that I think are unnecessary and uh, you know make it feel very different to the studio version, which I prefer. But like I said, it's almost immaterial because it's it's not about necessarily <coughs> polishing the track or making it "quote unquote" better for some nebulous definition of better. It's about having a different version of something you're familiar with and love
0: yes and like again the the sort of emotional spaces that or all the emotional registers on which you're trying to have mm-hmm. interactions dictate the sorts of changes and choices you make with your music both in the structural sense of like this is how we release this is how we schedule our releases this is how we pitch them this is how they get promoted as well as the like content of them that they're like we need all our lead singles to be big EDM smashes and we need our B sides to be sort of like Comfortable recapitulations of things people are familiar with, but that like.
1: The, the interesting point is that they are the same song filling that niche.
0: Yeah. That, but that like, you don't do that just by like writing new material. You do that by like reinterpreting and recontextualizing your old discography because it's got the familiarity not just of the sort of like nebulous sense of I know what an acoustic pop track sounds like, but that like, I can still sing along and I can still like hear the tune mm-hmm. that I know and love. But in an entirely different emotional context. And that, like, all those decisions, like, animated both from the, uh, like, economic but also emotional stuff, uh, like, points, like, influence what you get put out. And it's why Blackpink's so weird, because they've, like, it feels like they've just, like, min-maxed yeah. it almost. They've, like, gone full force into, um, full forced into, uh, like, figuring out the full details of, um, what it would entail to, like, Like, uh, they've, like, focus grouped what are the emotional resonances that they could have while making the most money. And it turns out, recapping that old material is a really effective way of doing things.
1: So it'll be really interesting to see... A, what their new material is, because not only are YG promising a new full-length studio album, they're also promising solo content from each of the members who haven't yet released solo content, so that's uh, Rose Jisoo and uh, Lisa. Uh, although, again, mm-hmm. the cynic in me sit, uh, is is going to go like, uh, by solo project, they mean like a photo shoot and like one single tops, right? <laughs>
0: yeah like a a, like a a project might literally be the single track and that's fine but it's it's just a completely different mode of um mode of interaction from what we're used to so yeah
1: uh, i i I will be following that release with great interest i'm sure it will light up the internet
0: yeah no like (laughs) without a doubt like new blackpink's exploding with uh uh the new Blackpink exploding the internet is something that we fully expect. It's just that we still haven't had a full-length or, like, longer-than-four-track release from Blackpink outside of the random Japanese compilation album. Like, we're waiting for this. We have been waiting for this for so long. So long. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to see yeah. how they approach it. I mean, it. so
1: tune in in a few months' time when we talk about the eight different remixes of How You Like That. <laughs> They're like... <laughs>
0: Uh, the many afterlives of Blackpink tracks shambling <laughs> like zombies across the cultural landscape.
1: All right. I think that does it.
0: So I think, yeah, I think on that image, we better leave you. Um, as always, follow us on Stan, at Stan Ontology on Twitter to keep up with what we're we're doing and talking about. Um, you can find me at regression with three
1: S's. You can find me at Claudia, W Y Low. Uh, and a little quick note um, we are on iTunes as well. Uh, so if you have issues with our Pinecast RSS feed, uh, you can find us via iTunes. And it would help a lot if you would drop a quick review and a like and just tell people that this podcast exists.
0: Hell yeah. Let's climb up those search engines. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for giving us a listen. And we will be, we'll be back soon. will be back soon.